2: Welcome to the Animal Voices Radio Show, Western Canada's only radio program on animal advocacy and compassionate living. This is 100.5 FM Co-op Radio CFRO in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada on unceded Coast Salish territories. Today is Friday, February the 28th, 2020. I am your host, Allison Cole, and I am joined here today by my guest co-host, Leah Thompson. Hello. And Ma- Megan Beattie. Hi. This month is February free Month, and we have a dairy-free-themed show for you today. By now, no doubt, you have heard about Joaquin Phoenix's brilliant best actor acceptance speech at the Academy Awards a few weeks ago, where he took the opportunity to speak up for systems of oppression in our society and highlighted the ways that humans treat cows to steal their milk from them and separate them from their babies as goes the dairy industry. This was a part of the speech that was not planned to predict what would happen the next day when Los Angeles Animal Save founder Amy Davis received a phone call about a spent dairy cow and her three-day-old baby that were in need of rescue at a nearby slaughterhouse. What happened next was an incredible feat of both organization and compassion in which Joaquin Phoenix, along with his mother, sister, Amy, Earthlings director Sean Monson, and Farm Sanctuary founder Jean Bauer came to the sanctuary to save these two special beings. The slaughterhouse owner gave up the mother and baby so that they can now live out the rest of their lives in peace at Farm Sanctuary just outside of L.A. For our first interview today, Amy Davis will be here to tell us about how this rescue all transpired. Then for our feature interview, we welcome back Patrice Jones on the show. Patrice is an eco-feminist writer, educator, and social justice activist. She is also the co-founder of Vine Sanctuary, an LGBTQ-run farmed animal sanctuary located in Springfield, Vermont. Patrice is known for lecturing on animal rights from a pro-intersectional approach linking speciesism with racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia. Patrice has 700 animals who live at Vine Sanctuary. Some of them are cows. A lot of them are cows. In, on t- in today's show, she will be here to tell us more about the sanctuary and its residents and speak on the history of col- colonialism and racism that is deeply rooted in her state of Vermont. That interview is coming up in about 32 minutes, so please do stay tuned. Now, last weekend I had the pleasure of attending the annual Canadian Health Foods Association trade show West in. Vancouver it's called CHFA West and I love going to this event every year so that I can report back on the new and exciting finds of plant-based foods that are coming to market in BC this year was no disappointment as I find that every year since I've been going There are more and more new vegan food products coming out and they are so innovative and tasty. Like they're making meats out of all kinds of uh, plant proteins these days, (laughs) cheese out of all kinds of stuff. And what else? Like it's just, you know, you never know with food technology what's coming up next. Mm -hmm. And so it's so exciting. Now, I always say this show is about. Every year, it seems like it's more and more vegan. Like more of the vendors. There's thousands of products at this show, and uh, and it seems like I feel like every year it's like 80% vegan. But this year, I felt like they there's like an extra step. Maybe it's like 83%. Mm-hmm. Now it's it's mm-hmm. the the vegans are taking over. Actually, you know most of these companies aren't vegan themselves. Some are, like mm-hmm. the owners are. But but. Vendors and and people who create food products—they are seeing the market for veganism. And I'm so excited about some of the finds that I had. Now we had some tasty mm. treats. Uh, <laughs> I brought you some treats from the show yes. this mm. morning, and we will. I really love that cheesecake, by the way. Yeah, that so good. it was a straw or a chocolate raspberry cheesecake. I'll talk about that in a second. Um, I wanted to say, like, I'm I'm always so excited when Tomorrow Foods Burgers are mm. at shows because they always give out full-sized sliders and you can have as oh, many as you want nice <laughs> yes
3: not just a little well, it's, ball <laughs> right
2: right it's like a full-size mini burger but they they are so yummy and they usually have them with chow cheese on top so mm. that is a vegan company and i was so excited that they are here that they're actually based in vancouver and mm-hmm. and they're one of these companies that are about ethics they care about the environment and animal welfare it says on on their website human health and they want to use protein from plants to feed people. Mm. they their burgers which are so tasty. I don't know if you've had them before Mm -hmm. megan have you Mm -hmm. yeah and leah has as well i think i even like them more than beyond burgers Mm -hmm. so i looked up the ingredients they're made from a variety of different plant proteins wheat protein kidney Mm -hmm. beans yellow split peas sunflower seeds and quinoa so those are some ingredients that you just don't see around every day so i just love the innovation that all these companies are finding the cream cheese that we Mm -hmm. had this morning also And the Cheesecake, that is by a new company – well, sorry, new to Vancouver, but they're actually based in Montreal, and they've been out since 2012, and that company is called Rawsome. I love raw mm-hmm. foods, so I gravitated right, and I love cheeses as well. You know, vegan cheeses. There's mm-hmm. so many out there, and there was a lot. Yeah. Of, there was a lot at the show this year, and yeah, I um, I gravitate, as I said, towards any any free samples of cheese, and they had they had such a wide array of different cream cheeses. I br- I brought the garlic and pepper today, mm-hmm. uh, because that was one of my favorites there. They also had a coriander and chili, which is a really interesting uh, flavor profile, and onion and chai. They have tzatziki and sour cream. And then they had about 10 different cheesecake flavors. So we had the raspberry, chocolate raspberry today, Mm -hmm. and I found it really yummy. It's made out of cashews. You can make so many wonderful things out of cashews if if you didn't know. Um, Moving on very quickly, Mm -hmm. I want to give a shout-out to the smoothie machine. Now, imagine a vending machine in... Well, you go to school at the university that I work at, mm-hmm. Leah. So it's both of our universities. Imagine imagine in the vending machine area of where you live in on campus and there's a smoothie vending machine. So isn't that something that I would I would be all over that for sure. <laughs> That is coming to Vancouver, and they're trying to get yeah. into hospitals and schools. So, cool. uh, yeah, that is definitely amazing. And um, and you can find them at the Smoothie Machine on uh, that's their website on Instagram as well, and as on Facebook. I wanted to m- talk about spreaded cheeses. If you're, are you familiar with with their sort yeah. of like? Yes, they have spreads, but they also have um, they have hard cheeses that are coming oh. out now. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's, ah. that's so
0: exciting. Gotta check on
2: our Facebook for all the photos. The photo albums of all these delicious items. So go to Animal Voices Vancouver, and uh, and there was other lots of other fun stuff there too. Once again, check out our photo album at Animal Voices Vancouver on Facebook, and um, and we shall you can see what exciting products lie there for our consumption and the consumption of many pre-vegans and you to become vegans. I hope in the future. Mm. Did you know that Vancouver Co-op Radio CFRO 100.5 FM has over 90 different shows produced by over 350 community members?
3: This wide range of programming produced by our diverse group of programmers ensures that we have a show you'll love. We have shows on feminism, spirituality, disability rights, politics, unions, and parenting. We play jazz, indie rock, reggae, blues, and folk. We
2: broadcast in a dozen different languages and have more First Nations programs than any other radio station in Vancouver. Find your show on Vancouver Co-op Radio,
3: CFRO 100.5 FM. All different, all the time. Okay, so for events this week tonight, Friday, February twenty eighth, from seven to ten thirty p.m. at the Juice Truck on Main Street, is Zoe Pellet's um, birthday fundraiser, thirty five for three thousand five hundred, <laughs> um, and the funds that are raised at this wonderful event are going to Home for Hooves. Farm Sanctuary and Huggable Rescue and Advocacy. Now, their tickets are sold out, but uh, Zoe has told us that, you know, if you do show up a little later um, to just go and see what's happening because there's going to be food, music, um, more food, (laughs) beverages, silent auction, raffles, and all sorts of wonderful, um, things to get you to give your money to these wonderful, uh, Places um, Tomorrow, Saturday, February 29th from 12 to 3 p.m. in Nanaimo at Palm Natural Market is the Vancouver uh, Vancouver Island Vegan Association is holding their fifth annual National Cupcake Day Bake Sale fundraiser to support Rasta Sanctuary and a Home for Hoof Sanctuary. Now, although this special day is actually on um, February 24th, they've pushed it to tomorrow. So there you go. You didn't miss it. (laughs) Um, Also tomorrow, Saturday, February 29th is Blue Heron's two year anniversary um, little party. Um, I just found out about this. So it's Speaking yeah. of vegan cheeses. Yeah, right? <laughs> like, holy smokes. And so go celebrate their anniversary with a night of e- an epic graze board, which it will be beyond epic for um, Blue Heron. Delicious drinks and great company. Tickets are only $15, and the link is in their bio. And then one more event that I wanted to mention is uh, for two weeks, starting Sunday, March 1st to 15th, is our friend Jeff Reiger has... Um, put on is doing this um, chalking event for those two weeks of, and it's called the film Dominion Changed My Life Chalking so basically he is inviting folks to just cover Vancouver with just those words He's um, the event is on Facebook it's called the film Dominion Changed My Life Chalking so go do check that out and um, learn more and get some chalking going If you have an animal-friendly event that you would like to have announced on the show, please send us an email at radioanimalvoices at gmail.com or post it on our Facebook page at Animal Voices Vancouver.
0: We feel entitled to artificially inseminate a cow, and when she gives birth, we steal her baby. Even though her cries of anguish are unmistakable, And then we take her milk that's intended for her calf, and we put it in our coffee and our cereal.
3: Okay, so here we go. Um, Amy Jean Davis is an animal rights advocate, a spokesperson for the SAVE movement, and the founder of LA Animal Save, the Los Angeles chapter of the global animal SAVE movement. After having become vegan in 2002, she started an animal sanctuary in Los Angeles, California, area in 2014. In 2015, she completed her certificate in plant-based nutrition from eCornell. Cool. And in 2016, Amy founded LA Animal Save, which is now the largest chapter of more than 900 save groups worldwide. Amy also works with her partner, Earthlings filmmaker, Sean Munson, in creating films and other media for the animal rights movement. Uh, now just a couple weeks ago, as you heard a little bit of his speech, a day after, um, Academy Awards ceremony in L.A., Amy received a phone call about a mother cow and her calf at a nearby slaughterhouse. This was also the day after actor and animal activist Joaquin Phoenix had won the Academy Award for Best Actor and subsequently made a headlining acceptance speech in which he spoke to the plight of mother cows and their babies used in animal agriculture. This day after, Joaquin helped to liberate the mother cow and her newborn calf from a Los Angeles slaughterhouse and bring them to Farm Sanctuary where they will live out the rest of their lives in peace. Joaquin named the mother Liberty and her daughter Indigo. That's Leah's middle name, our co-host. Hmm. And Amy is here today to tell us more about this amazing rescue score story. Hi, Amy. Welcome to Anna Voices. Thank you for joining us hi thank you so much for having me i'm so happy to be here yay uh well let's just get get into it and um can you start by telling us about the phone call you received the day after the oscars on february 10th and your experience in the rescue with joaquin and all of the other um animal advocates how was that what was it like
0: uh it was a really wonderful uh, Mm. day Uh, now uh, this was actually the fifth time Mm, that the slaughterhouse owner has actually called us uh, to come and rescue this mother and baby and so it just happened that it was just incredible timing that Joaquin had just won the award for best actor and then the next day uh, Anthony called and and said I've got a baby here and and the mama and you do you want to come get them and so uh, of course we said yes and mm-hmm. then we start scrambling for which sanctuary is able to to take them in as you know uh as you might not know uh, mm. cows are very expensive to, right. to take care of and so yeah. there's not a lot of sanctuaries equipped to do that and then uh and sean thought you know what um i'm going to reach out to joaquin and see if if he wants to join uh when we go out there to pick up the mama and baby and mm-hmm. and he happened to be available and he brought uh, Rooney, and mm-hmm. Rooney brought her mom, and, and Joaquin
3: brought his mom and yeah, stepdad. Yeah, a big family affair.
0: Yeah, <laughs> and Gene Bauer also uh, happened to be in L.A. because he lives on the East Coast. Mm-hmm. And so he was able to join us as well. So everything just kind of fell into place, and um, we're so grateful to Joaquin for being willing to, mm-hmm. to come there with us and, and wanting us to film so that we could share the story, uh, and so it it was it was amazing. It was just it was just so amazing, and at the same time very heartbreaking yeah. because um, I don't know if you could see in the video, but we were uh, when we were waiting for all the paperwork to get done. Mm-hmm. The mother and baby that we were rescuing, uh, they were the the wagyu uh, beef type of of cow, oh. and across from this mother daughter pair was a holding pen full of spent dairy mothers. Right, yes. So, the, the you know, the exact uh, cows that Joaquin was talking about in his speech, so they were just across mm. the, the way from, from this mother and baby that were safe. And um, I actually took some footage of them, uh, and you, you can see that their udders are so engorged mm, that they're yeah. actually uh, spilling out milk. And so... It was, it was a heartbreaking but also wonderful day. It was wonderful that we got to save those two lives and yeah. that Joaquin was there to help magnify the whole story. Mm-hmm. But then just seeing those dairy mothers that never got to see any of their babies.
3: Yeah. Oh uh, and, and
0: then as they, as they wait for slaughter, um, many of them are most likely pregnant. Mm. And also they're just, they're just totally engorged. And as a nursing mother myself, yeah. I know very well how uncomfortable that is. And they just had to sit there and, and wait and get, and get more and more engorged as the, as the clock ticked until until they were led down the line to the knockbox. So mm-hmm. um, it was a great day, but also a, a very sad day.
3: I know, right? That is, that is so difficult. Wow. Oof. Joaquin said in the video quote, I never thought I'd find friendship in a slaughterhouse, but meeting Anthony, the president and CEO of the slaughterhouse, and opening my heart to his. I realized we might have more in common than we do differences. Without his act of kindness, Liberty and her calf Indigo would have met a terrible demise, unquote. And I've actually had this same experience, sitting down with the manager of the Hallmark Slaughterhouse. This is where I do the Vancouver Chicken Save vigils, and with that, like I had had interactions with him before but for some reason this conversation was different and my guard was down and we were just two humans talking and it was a really good interaction actually and you know he's he's a white cis male in management position as opposed to all the other folks that are marginalized that work in slaughterhouses so it's hard not to judge and lay blame on him Um, but the focus needs to shift towards dissecting the actual industry and the exploitation and oppression of all who are in it and affected by it, human and non-human alike. Um, What are your experiences, Amy, interacting with workers and management at this slaughterhouse or at Farmer John's slaughterhouse where L.A. Animal Save holds their pig vigils?
0: Well, uh, each slaughterhouse we're finding the experience to be a little different. um, Mm -hmm. With Anthony at his slaughterhouse, it's a much smaller place. And so we've actually developed a relationship with Anthony, right. you know, which, you know, it is why he calls us when a yes. baby is born. Um, he's actually brought us into the slaughterhouse to, you know, have a tour and bear mm-hmm. witness on the kill floor. Mm-hmm. And we've talked to him about trying to, uh, you know, do a plant-based diet himself so mm-hmm. that he can see the health benefits. And we've talked to him about changing his. His business, and right. you know, it's not off the table. It's, it's mm. you know, it's, you never know, you, n- you never know what's going to motivate someone. And so, um, our experience with Anthony has been it has been great as far as being able to have those conversations and have that possibility exist for him to change his business and yes. him, for him to try a plant based diet. And so uh, that that has been, uh, you know, a positive thing uh, amidst the darkness and violence mm-hmm. of that business. And then at Farmer John, we actually don't have a whole lot of interaction with with the management or ownership there or with the workers. And I think it's because where we hold vigil, we, the, there's not a lot of workers going in and out. So yeah. we, we talk to the security guards and, and of course, we, we are there with the, the Vernon Police Department, who are amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but, w- but even there, even though we don't have a lot of interaction with Farmer John management, they speak to us through the police department, and it's always very positive. Mm. They've even made sure that we know that if we have any problems with the drivers that are bringing the pigs in, right. uh, we can just let the police know, and, the, po- and ha- the police will relay that to Farmer John, and they'll take care of it. So uh, so it's been a positive experience, even though we haven't had a lot of direct mm communication with with farmer john management
3: mm-hmm. wow, wow.
0: We, and we talked to workers who mm-hmm. who don't want to be there of course which i think is most of them yeah and they would love to find other work
3: Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah that would hopefully that will be in the near future to <laughs> yeah. find other jobs for them or help them um but so yeah. yeah let's talk about anthony's kind of anomalous way of thinking like he said Anytime a calf is born on my property, I refuse to take the mother away from its baby because I just I just won't do it. Unquote. And so this process, along with his other kind of humane quote unquote practices, are the only ones that he knows of or that op- where a slaughterhouse operates in this way. And to I think most of us, this is an obvious anomaly, right? It's just we know that places don't operate like that, and. Um, So it just kind of shows that he does have some sense of what is right and wrong, which seems like total hypocrisy. But as Joaquin said, we have to take pause to acknowledge and celebrate the victories, but also acknowledging that his way of thinking is very different from the vast majority of slaughterhouse owners and operators. Um, How do you reconcile the immense cognitive dissonance that happens within slaughterhouse walls? I know well, that's with a big Anthony one. In
0: particular, <laughs> right. uh, with Anthony in particular, I, I think that he is a little different that when a baby is born in the holding pen, he doesn't just send it through the slaughter line mm-hmm. and he, you know, reaches out and wants to find, you know, sanctuary for this baby and and so far also the mo- the mothers. And so in that way, his cognitive dissonance isn't completely, it has not completely taken over his brain yeah. <laughs> and his heart. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so there is hope there, mm-hmm. and then it's, as far as the cognitive dissonance that exists among the the workers, it it's there, but it also doesn't really last. It's not sustainable yeah. because many of these workers suffer from PTSD, yeah. and it's because the, the 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 job of killing and dismembering uh, animals, you know, for eight hours a day every day, mm-hmm. it. Very much goes against our own natural sense of compassion and, and desire to protect instead of harm. And so it, the breakdown there is these these workers are, suffer yeah. from PTSD. And, oh, absolutely. And and, it, and they're oppressed also. You know, these a mm, lot of these people yes. don't have a choice between no. this job and feeding their family. No. And and so we need to think about those people as well. And we that's why it's so important that we completely shift our food system away mm. from animal-based quote-unquote food mm-hmm.
3: uh, into, into plant-based food. Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, my co-host, Leah, has a question for you, Amy. Mm-hmm.
4: Hello. Hi. So one thing that struck me from the video was how Joaquin and Anthony went back and forth on the whole harvested-murdered conversation. So um, mm-hmm. we want to talk a little bit about language and how language is powerful. And I also noticed, like, throughout the video, not just Anthony, but, like, walking as well use it to describe the animals in the video. So what are your thoughts around the language that is used to um, degrade non-human animals and elevate the dominant culture of species? How can we shift this narrative?
0: Well, uh, my thought is that it's a major problem because mm-hmm. this sense of exploitative dominion, it mm-hmm. gets built into our subconscious thoughts and behavior. I don't, Joaquin probably didn't even realize Mm -hmm. he was doing that. And I can tell you this because, you know, since my partner, Sean is the one that filmed and edited this video and it was working with Joaquin. So that, so it was what Joaquin wanted to portray. Mm -hmm. He was very particular on all kinds of things revolving language and body language. Um, but I don't believe he caught this one. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because this, this, like I call it exploitative dominion, it, it gets built into our, our subconscious thoughts and behavior where we don't even yeah. realize we're doing it. Yeah. And so I've made a personal uh, attempt at making sure to use they instead of it, mm-hmm. since, I, since a lot of times I don't know if the animals are male or female. And, um, and I confuse a lot of people because they'll say mm-hmm. they, like, oh, is there more than one? And it's like, no, I, I don't know if they are male or female if so I'm using they and and so even with people within the animal rights community it can become confusing. So the way that we shift this narrative is we just each individual person changes their way of speaking and tells other people why they're doing that and we and of course we also teach our children how yeah. to speak about others. And it's mm-hmm. it's actually quite very it's it's very easy because mm-hmm. if we instead of when we're talking about animals if we just substitute the animal out of the sentence and put in a human it's like we automatically shift to oh he she or they Mm -hmm. it's so easy that way and so um i think that's one of the little hacks that we can use when we're trying to reprogram our own way of speaking and thinking is we just think oh if i was talking about a human here i would never say it yeah i would say he she or they
3: yeah Yeah, that's so important. Wow. Um, We are almost out of time, Amy, but I just wanted to ask if you have any other thoughts or special moments you'd like to share from this rescue that you all did.
0: Well, I think it was um, amazing to be there with a a few sets of, of mother child human pair, mm. and we were saving this mother child non-human pair mm-hmm. um just to see the bond between the mothers like me and my child phoenix mm-hmm. uh my bond with her and joaquin's bond with his mother and rooney's bond with her mother and to see how how important that bond is how how just you know special and uh, that bond is and we were able to to um do you know keep that for this mother daughter pair uh, of cows um so that that was a lovely thing to see but of course there's always a flip side since we live in this uh, violent society Mm -hmm. that you know this is wonderful but all of these animals over here and out Mm -hmm. there aren't getting that and and so um it was it was visceral to experience Mm -hmm. that and i would just ask people um to consider going to see these animals and see that they're individuals and and yep. you know and bear witness like mm-hmm. we do in the Save movement and, yeah and then also because it is a hard thing to do please support the animal sanctuaries because they're yes. doing very hard work and it costs yes. a lot of money mm-hmm. yeah
3: it does Oh, great. Well, thank you, Amy, for coming on the show today and telling us about this wonderful rescue story and for advocating for the plight of the mother and baby calves in the dairy industry and for all animals. I myself personally hope to get down your way sometime, sometime, and meet you and experience um, LA Animal Save. For myself, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show.
0: Thank you so much for
3: having me, and thank you for all that you're doing as well. Thank you. So you can view the eight-minute film of this rescue on our website at animalvoices.org or on our Facebook page, Animal Voices Vancouver. It's pinned at the top of our page. Also, to learn more about the work of Los Angeles Animal Save, which is doing amazing, amazing things, please visit them on Facebook, Instagram, and on their website at laanimalsave.org. You can also watch the life-changing film Earthlings for free on the LA Animal Save website or at nationearth.com.
2: And I also just wanted to mention Farm Sanctuary, where these babies are going to, Mm farmsanctuary.org. It's a well-known sanctuary with three locations, and I've been to this one in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. It's definitely worth a visit there. Thank you for that wonderful interview, Megan. Mm -hmm. So it is February free month. (laughs) But Mm -hmm. anyways, uh, this is sort of a response to February month. Yes, that started last
3: year, right? probably right the hashtag
2: yeah Yeah. the the you know the dairy farmers are getting antsy over you know just as we were speaking about all this uh, this sort of like r- the rise of non-dairy and just a new story that just came out in the last couple of days is that new evidence suggests that women who drink as little as one cup of dairy milk per day could increase their risk of developing breast cancer by up to 50 percent. So mm. this is a study done by researchers from the Loma Linda University Adventist Health Sciences Center in California and they say that this observational study gives fairly strong evidence that dairy milk or factors closely related to the consumption of dairy milk is linked to the development of breast cancer in women. Consuming as little as one quarter to one third of a cup of dairy milk per day was associated with an increased risk of breast cancer of 30%. Mm. And by drinking up to one cup per day, the associated risk went up to 50%. Two to three cups per day, I'm thinking back to when I was little, you know, yeah. our <laughs> mother's saying you got to drink your cow's milk. Yeah. Two to three cups per day, the, res- the risk increases further to 70%. And eighty percent. So, as uh, people who listen to the show here might know, Canada's Food Guide was updated last year to actually eliminate the dairy category. Mm. Because why? Mm -hmm. Dairy is for baby cows. It's not for humans. That's why. If you want to read more about this, uh, this scientific study that was done, you can check it out on our Facebook page. It's uh, posted there today at Animal Voices
3: Vancouver. And Megan, you have a news story. Um, Yes, this is from uh, two days ago, February 26, 2020, and it says the Whale Sanctuary Project selects Port Hilford, Nova Scotia for North America's first sanctuary for captive whales. So this is very, very exciting. Um, the Whale Sanctuary Project has announced that it will work together with Sherbrooke and the municipality of the District of St. Mary's on the eastern shore of Nova Scotia to create a seaside sanctuary in Port Hilford for whales being retired from entertainment parks. Um, of the hundreds of locations that we've researched in British Columbia, Washington State and Nova Scotia, Port Hilford stands out as the premier location for a whale sanctuary. Is Charles Vinick, executive producer or director of the Whale Sanctuary Project. So I think this is just huge, huge to try to start shifting captivity and not having captivity and having these animals um, be out in the ocean where they, where they deserve to be.
2: For sure, I'm not sure if you mentioned this, but we've uh, we featured the Whale Sanctuary mm. Project on no, Animal not yet. Voices. Yes, thank so, you. Yes, yeah, so you can find them at Whale Sanctuary or also mm-hmm. go to AnimalVoices.org and just search Whale Sanctuary Project, mm-hmm. and you'll see a couple of interviews that we've mm. done there. Yes. On, yes, on this,
3: so great.
4: So I've got one more news article. This one is also from two days ago. China's leaders have launched an immediate ban on selling and eating of wild animals to fight the spread of the coronavirus. So within hours of the crackdown being announced by the National People's Congress, China's top level of parliament, authorities started closing down markets across the country selling species ranging from badgers, deer, peacocks and turtles, pangolin and civet cats. The ban marks a major shift in the country's attitude to selling and eating animals caught from the wild. Most towns and cities in the country have one or more wild animal markets. However, trade in pigeons, rabbits, and quails, bred for consumption rather than taken from the wild, is still allowed. Peter Knights, a chief executive of the U.S.-based wild aid charity, welcomed the new ban, saying it should stop the spread of disease that poses a risk to humans, but the health... Hygiene and welfare risks remain from the killing of rabbits, pigeons, chickens, and pigs. Such practices risk spreading avian flu and swine flu, he warned. The Chinese government is hitting the key areas hard. Ban live markets, stricter laws and penalties, better enforcement, and public education. This time it should be permanent, he said. The tremendous health and economic risks of wildlife consumption massively outweigh the small profits that are made by sellers and breeders. We hope China can set a strong precedent from the whole of Asia and hopefully influence that many African countries that are impacted by the illegal wildlife trade to follow suit. The good thing about social media is anyone can photograph and upload details of any animal trading, so the ban can be policed by the public. We think the public is very much on this because they're aware now of the huge risk of these markets and will be very helpful. Lastly, online debate within China has also appeared to favor a permanent ban. A survey by Beijing University last month found 97 percent of respondents were strongly against wildlife consumption. So it seems like this isn't just a ban that's going to last temporarily, like it sounds like if people are agreeing with it and wanting to I mean, people are doing it for their own selfish reasons, like they don't want to get sick. Um, But still, like it's going to have a massive effect as far as the number of non-human lives that are saved.
2: You are listening to Animal Voices on 100.5 FM, CFRO Vancouver Co-op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. So I'll be
4: introducing um, our guest on the show, Patrice Jones. She is an in- eco-feminist writer, educator, and activist, as well as the co-founder of Vine Sanctuary, an LGBTQ-run farmed animal sanctuary in Springfield, Vermont. Patrice is known for writing and lecturing on animal rights from a pro-intersectional approach, linking speciesism with racism, sexism, homophobia, and transphobia. On today's show, for February Dairy Free, Patrice will speak to us about Vine Sanctuary, and the cows who have been rescued there, and the racist and colonial history entrenched in the dairy industry in rural Vermont. Hello, Patrice, and welcome back on the Animal Voices show.
1: Hi, thank you for having me. Mm -hmm.
4: You're welcome.
1: (laughs) It's great to have you.
4: (laughs) So we introduce you by saying that you are a co-founder of Vine Sanctuary, and I would like to give you an opportunity to tell us more about Vine, how you started, and how the sanctuary has grown.
1: Oh, okay. So uh, Vine is an LGBTQ-led refuge for farmed animals. We care for more than 700 uh, rescued animals while also working for social and environmental justice as well Mm -hmm. as for animal liberation. Uh, We are celebrating our 20th anniversary this year. We started in rural Maryland uh, when co-founder Miriam Jones and I found a chicken by the side of the road who had fallen um, or jumped from a truck headed for the slaughterhouse. This was in the part of uh, the United States where factory farming of chickens was invented and perfected. Um, And so for the first nine years... We ran a sanctuary that was primarily just for chickens. There were a few turkeys and ducks here or there, Um, uh, literally surrounded by factory farms. Um, And uh, the chickens uh, at the sanctuary were uh, escapees and rescued uh, from the local poultry industry, uh, but also survivors of egg factories. Uh, small-scale egg production and cockfighting. Um, it was during that time that we became the first sanctuary to develop a protocol for rehabilitating roosters used in cockfighting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that's something we still do and have trained other sanctuaries to do. In 2009, uh, because we wanted to expand to be able to take in survivors of dairying, uh, we relocated to where we are now, which is Vermont. And, uh, Began taking in cows in uh, 2010. And uh, as I said, at present, there are about uh, 700 animals in residence. That includes hundreds of chickens, 40 cows, oh. a dozen <laughs> or so sheep, uh, and then smaller numbers of goats and alpacas, mm. and geese and ducks and guinea fowl and turkeys. Emus, and I'm sure I'm forgetting some people.
3: <laughs> We're on our way.
1: <laughs> All right.
4: Okay. <laughs> so our next question for you: uh, What does it mean for you that Vine is LGBTQ-run mm-hmm. or led? Do you face any challenges in terms of cis-hetero antagonism being in a rural area of Vermont?
1: Hmm. Well, you know, Vermont. Uh, we, we shouldn't. We shouldn't. Um, Stereotype rural areas. Vermont yes. is a rural state, but Vermont is act- was actually the fourth state in the United States to legalize gay marriage, mm-hmm. um, and was actually the first state to adopt same-sex marriage by legislation on purpose, rather than being forced to through a court order. Um, and more recently, just last mm-hmm. our last gubernatorial election, um, our Democratic candidate for um, the Democratic candidate for governor was a trans woman. Um, I think, Mm -hmm. the first um, Mm -hmm. to be um, nominated by a major party for a a governorship. And uh, she didn't win, but she actually did better uh, than probably any other Democrat would have done uh, against a popular incumbent. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, Vermont is not at all hostile uh, to LGBTQ folks, and and we certainly haven't experienced any any hostility there. Um, That's not to say that it's... um, uh that it's never been um harder for us Um, Mm -hmm. i think from the start we faced um, a lot of challenges that weren't faced uh, by sanctuaries that were started by married straight couples Mm -hmm. um financial difficulties and um uh, and and where we were originally for the first nine year was a rural area that was hostile to Mm -hmm. us um uh and then i would say um, it's always hard for me to know exactly what this is and, and you know, biases like that. Um, so uh, we, we're, we're, we're the third largest farmed animal sanctuary in the United States, and, and, and we're also one of the oldest, um, and yet we still really struggle. Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of fundraising. And and we often see um, smaller, newer sanctuaries founded by straight people, and particularly straight men, just leapfrog over us Mm -hmm. um, in terms of fundraising and popularity. Is that because of the queerness? I don't know. Is it because... Um, While a lot of sanctuaries just sort of focus on the feel-good aspect Mm -hmm. of of helping to care for animals, we're always challenging people to think not Mm -hmm. just about LGBTQ issues but about racism, about Mm -hmm. economic injustice, about environmental injustice. I don't know. Um, But it certainly has had an impact um, on our well-being and, you know, in some ways has... Uh, facilitated our work. A lot of people are very responsive to our work, Mm -hmm. um, but uh, the the folks who are very responsive to our work tend not to be the folks who have a lot of money. Um, So that makes it a little bit hard to feed um, 700 animals.
4: Mm -hmm. So I have had the pleasure of visiting Vine twice now. Something that struck me when I went there, as I'm sure does for a lot of people, is the interspecies mingling and habitation. Could you please describe this layout and speak on how this came to be?
0: Hmm.
1: Okay. Well, uh, we have a few different parts of the sanctuary, um, and one area you're probably thinking Mm of um, is the biggest area called uh, that some researchers who have done um, animal studies researchers who have come and done field research, they call it the commons. Um, and so in this one barn with a whole bunch of coops attached and a whole bunch of pastures and woods around are cows and goats and sheep and alpacas and emus and chickens and virtually everybody I just listed, um, all getting along. T- oh, and one pig. That's who I forgot.
4: Um,
1: um All getting along together. Um, uh, we have a, a, another section of the sanctuary uh, that we call the valley Um, because it's a little bit lower in elevation, and that is pretty much all birds, so it's mostly chickens, but there's also ducks and uh, turkeys and um, Great Pyrenees puppies and barn cats. Um, And then there's a back pasture where the hardy herd of cows um, uh, runs their own affairs. Um, And they, uh, uh, among official sanctuary residents, then it's just those cows. Um, but they also have friends of other species because there's a huge flock of wild turkeys who hang out with them a lot, um, and wild deer also come in and, and visit them. Um, we do think um, that the ability – oh, before I say that, um, if you're interested in reading what some of these researchers had to say, there's, there was recently an article published um, in the journal Politics and Animals, um, and it's called Animal Agency and Community, a Political multi-species ethnography of vine sanctuary and you can find that at the politics and animals website it's free open source you can read the article um how this came about for us was that when miriam and i um started what was initially just a chicken sanctuary uh we decided that our motto would be let birds be birds Mm -hmm. and what we meant by that was that chickens um you know often aren't even seen as birds um, and and in the poultry industry and in the egg industry and in other uses are, are denied their birthright as birds. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we thought it would be particularly important um, for us to see our role as creating the circumstances for them to recover themselves, to be the birds uh, they want to be. Um, and... And, and, and have the things that birds want, access to the woods, strong flocks, um, lots of relationships with the flocks. And we realized that that de us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to do that, we, we, we would have to resist any urge we wanted to do to sort of make these birds into pets. Um, Or center our relationship with them, but rather recognize that the most best thing we could do for them would be create the circumstances in which they could have strong and rich relationships with each other, Mm -hmm. because that would be much more meaningful to them um, than relationships with us. We would love it, and we would respond if they sought out relationships with us, but we were really going to focus our energy on making sure they could have good relationships with each other within a habitat that was as close as possible to the, that of um, their wild kin, who are the jungle fowl of South Asia. Um, uh, and so we did that, and we noticed, though, that they were, they were really interested in other birds, in the wild birds uh, they would, um, who would come and join them at the food bowls. Um, and sometimes when wild birds would, would fly by, like migrating birds, um, they would send up this beautiful song. Um, uh, that was um, so touching, and it was almost as though they wished they could fly with them. Um, And then we took in a turkey who came along with a bunch of ducks and chickens, and they were all, um, I don't have time to tell you, but they were so deeply attached to one another that we realized uh, how, Uh, just like us, they might want to have relationships with people of other species, and those might be enriching relationships. And so we decided, uh, we realized that um, sort of allowing, um, creating the ability to form uh, relationships with with folks of other species might be um, a a, a component of self-determination that would would enable um, greater flourishing. Um, and so when we did expand uh, to then start taking in mammals, uh, we did not um, do what most uh, sanctuaries do, which is sort of set up separate segregated areas for the different species, um, mm-hmm. but, but created um, a place where, where folks could have those relationships if they want them, but there's enough space to that, that nobody's forced into relationships they don't want.
4: Mm-hmm. So, in addition to being LGBTQ-run in a rural Mm -hmm. community, um, Vine is located in a state which relies heavily on the dairy industry as a form of agriculture, and folks pride themselves on it, kind of claiming it as their identity and Mm -hmm. their culture. Mm -hmm. Could you please describe to us the history of how this came to be, Um, the land that was once inhabited by the indigenous Abenaki people that has Mm -hmm. been transformed by means of settler colonialism into what it is today— how how do racism and anti indigeneity persist in the continuation of the modern-day dairy industry
1: okay, who okay that's an hour-long lecture right there <laughs> so let me just first tell you that i cover this a pretty extensively mm-hmm. in my book the oxen at the intersection which is available, which was published by Lantern Books and is available any anywhere you buy books. Mm-hmm. So that's the oxen at the intersection. So just really quickly, I guess I should just remind everybody that cows are not indigenous to the Americas. Cows came over with Columbus. Uh, the same is true for pigs and most other farmed animals. Uh, here in Vermont, uh, the Abenaki people had been farming uh, sustainably, corn, um, beans, um, and, and squash for um, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Europeans ever even thought of coming to the Americas or even knew that the Americas existed. Um, um, and augmenting this uh, with truly subsistence hunting, um, meaning uh, seeing other animals as non-human persons and not killing them unless it was absolutely necessary for survival. Um, uh, but were, they were agriculturalists. Um, but the Europeans, of course, when they arrived, um, did not recognize uh, local experts as experts mm-hmm. um, and brought their European ways of farming and tried to grow things like wheat um, on our thin mountain soil. Um, and uh, then farms would fail, 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 fail. Uh, eventually, other people started leaving because all the farms were failing. And then, through an accident of history involving a war, and an ambassador some special sheep from spain were imported and then put onto all of these failed farms um, to graze Um, and so then vermont became a center of wool production Um, and that lasted until after the civil war when the market for wool crashed for various reasons i don't have time to tell you Um, and the farms were all collapsing again and so then somebody had the idea since uh, the big city of Boston was very thirsty, um, that, uh, that, that all of these empty sheep pastures could become cow pastures and, and we could become uh, milk producers um, for the region. Um, and that is what happened um, due to accidents of history um, and, uh, and the new railroad system. Um, but shortly after that, Vermont needed to uh, create its identity, um, and the, the, the white people in charge were really worried about two things. They were worried about immigrant workers um, uh, in the various mills, in the mill towns, and they were worried about the persistence of the Abenaki people and French-Canadian people um, and, and the intermarriage between the two. Um, and so they were really interested in creating this idea that the, the prototypical Vermonter is a white farmer with his mm-hmm. cow. And um, they more or less deliberately created that as the identity of the traditional Vermonter. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's the story of dairying here in Vermont. Um, like everywhere else, um, happily, uh, dairy is, as an industry, is having a hard time here. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, I think maybe you're going to ask me later about uh, what, uh, some of the things we might be able to do to to seize that that opportunity, but that's the story, um, and it does um, involve uh, imperialism, colonialism, mm-hmm. anti-indigeneity, um, and of course, uh, the current um, market for dairy is still propped up um, by the um, the, uh, the forcing of dairy into school lunches, mm-hmm. um, it, despite the fact that the, the majority of non-white of students of color. Are lactose intolerant, or what Lauren Arnellis calls lactose normal. Mm. Um, so that's a social justice issue, um, mm-hmm. as well as an animal liberation issue.
4: Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, we have only one minute left, so can oh you gosh. just tell? I know it flew by. Can you just tell us how um, your anti-dairying campaign that you're working on, or how we can support you there?
1: Oh, sure. Um, well, gosh, we just feel like uh, right now we are at a tipping point. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or we may be near a tipping point, nobody knows where. So we have our Dairy Alternatives Project at the national level. What we're looking at are what are the things that people are doing, but what are the things that could be done but aren't being done yet and trying to get different groups to fill those niches. Locally, what we're trying to do is really boost uh, things like hemp cultivation uh, as alternatives for dairy farmers to do, plant-based alternatives for, for dairy, dairy, dairy people to do. Oh, and I'm sorry, sorry, because now you can't ask me about the cows uh, here uh, who are survivors of dairying. So let me just give a shout out to Princess and Autumn and Rose and Maisie and Daisy and Moxie and Ebony and Magnolia and Daffodil and and all the others um, who are survivors of dairying living here.
4: Thank you so much. So thank you again, Patrice, for coming on the show to speak about your sanctuary um, and about some of the history of the dairy industry. To find out more about the work that Patrice does, you can visit Vine Sanctuary's website at www.vine.bravebirds.org.
1: VineSanctuary.org.
4: VineSanctuary.org. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then on Facebook at Vine Sanctuary. And as you heard, they're always collecting donations to support their over 700 residents, so please donate and share if you can. Much appreciated, I'm sure.
1: Thank you,
3: Patrice. Have a great day. Thank you so
1: much for having me.
3: You've been listening to the Animal Voices radio show on 100.5 FM Co op Radio in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Please join us for our International Women's Day show next Friday, March 6th. Um, we'll be speaking with Amanda Howdeshell, the co founder of Species Revolution. Um, and she'll be speaking with Leah, I believe, on feminism and unlearning speciesist language. We here at the Animal Voices show modestly ask you to keep connected with Animal Voices via the World Wide Web. Our past shows can be listened to on our website at animalvoices.org. Our past podcasts are also available on iTunes and Google Play. Join our Facebook page and join uh, us on Instagram, both at Animal Voices Vancouver. To close the show, we are leaving you with a song performed by our first guest today, Amy Jean Davis from Los Angeles Animal Safe, who happens to be a singer and was a finalist in the American Idol TV show in Season 7. This song brings Amy to think about bearing witness. It's called Light Up, Run. Please stay tuned for Radio EcoShock with Alex Smith thank you so much for listening to Animal Voices today and remember to be kind to the animals
5: this song reminds me of Bearing Witness I'll sing it one last time for Do you see?